Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. In this episode of the Albany Update, we're focused on the fight over the next Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The situation is volatile and could change any moment, but we think it is safe to say that by the time you hear this, we still do not have a permanent Speaker in the House. After that, there are a couple of ballot proposals that voters should be aware of prior to early voting, starting on Saturday, October 28th. We'll fill you in on the details. Let's get started. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the California Republican, was removed from his leadership role by a vote of the U.S. House of Representatives on October 3rd. This vote marked the first time in U.S. history that a Speaker of the House had been voted out of his or her position. As of October 18th, the United States House of Representatives has been without a Speaker for 15 days. Because of the Speakership vacancy, the House has been unable to conduct business. This state of affairs is problematic for multiple reasons. First, the dysfunction in the House makes the U.S. government appear chaotic, unreliable, and weak, both to the American people and to the rest of the world. Second, the federal government will shut down on November 17th if Congress fails to pass new funding legislation. A shutdown becomes more and more likely with each day that the House cannot conduct business. Right now, the U.S. House of Representatives is a mess. The chief cause of this mess is a lack of unity amongst House Republicans, some of whom are so deeply at odds with one another that they are unable to complete the basic task of selecting a new Speaker. Representative Kevin McCarthy was elected Speaker of the House on January 7, 2023. It took 15 floor votes before McCarthy attained a majority. As we noted at the time, Representative McCarthy made a series of concessions in order to gain the support of some of his fellow Republicans. One of those concessions was allowing any member of the House to force a vote on a motion to remove the Speaker from his post. This type of motion is known as a motion to vacate. Speaker McCarthy faced a challenging situation in late September. The House's short-term spending bill was defeated on September 29th. If funding legislation did not pass by October 1st, the federal government would shut down. On September 30th, to prevent a government shutdown from occurring the next day, Speaker McCarthy introduced a stopgap measure that would fund the government for the next 45 days. The bill did not include the spending cuts some Republicans desired. The bill passed the House 335 to 91, with bipartisan support. It quickly passed the Senate and was signed into law by President Joe Biden. Some House Republicans found it unacceptable that Speaker McCarthy had compromised with the Democrats to avert a government shutdown. On October 3rd, one of those Republicans, Representative Matt Gates of Florida, introduced a motion to remove Speaker McCarthy from his role as Speaker of the House. The motion passed the House 216 to 210. The eight House Republicans who supported Speaker McCarthy's ouster were Representatives Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ken Buck of Colorado, Tim Burchette of Tennessee, Eli Crane of Arizona, Matt Gates of Florida, Bob Good of Virginia, Nancy Mace of South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale of Montana. 
Following the vote, Representative McCarthy stated that he would not seek to regain the speakership. In accordance with House procedure, Representative Patrick McHenry, a North Carolina Republican, has acted as Speaker pro tem since October 3rd. In the days that followed Representative Kevin McCarthy's removal from the position of Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, it quickly became clear that the lawmakers who had engineered his defeat had no plan for how the House should proceed. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, a Louisiana Republican, who holds the House's second-highest leadership position, and Representative Jim Jordan, an Ohio Republican, chair of the House's Judiciary Committee, each sought to become the next Speaker. Representative Jordan was endorsed by former President Donald Trump. On October 11th, House Republicans voted 113 to 99 to nominate Leader Scalise for the Speakership. The very next day, Leader Scalise withdrew his candidacy for Speaker because he lacked the votes to be elected. Because of the narrow Republican majority in the House, and because unanimous Democratic opposition is a foregone conclusion, a candidate for Speaker cannot be elected if he is opposed by more than four Republican House members. On October 13th, House Republicans voted 124 to 81 to nominate Representative Jordan for Speaker. A founder of the House Freedom Caucus, Representative Jordan is popular with many conservatives. However, his candidacy is not supported by some establishment figures within the Republican Party. He was opposed by Representative Austin Scott of Georgia, an ally of Representative McCarthy. On October 17th, the House voted on Representative Jordan's Speaker candidacy for the first time. Representative Jordan fell short by a vote of 200 to 212. All House Democrats voted for their leader, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, a New York Democrat, while 20 Republicans, mostly moderates, declined to support Representative Jordan. Instead, those Republicans voted for persons such as Representative McCarthy, Majority Leader Scalise, and former Representative Lee Zeldin. The New York Times reported that some Scalise supporters were angry with Jordan's camp due to a lack of support for Leader Scalise's bid for the Speakership. The next day, another vote was held, and Representative Jordan was defeated, 199-212. to Four New York Republicans, Representatives Anthony Desposito of New York's 4th Congressional District, Andrew Garbarino of New York's 2nd District, Nick Lalota of New York's 1st Congressional District, and Mike Lawler of New York's 17th Congressional District, declined to vote for Representative Jordan on October 17th or October 18th. Following the second vote, Politico reported that Representative Jordan's bid for the speakership was on its last legs. Also on October 18th, CNBC reported that a growing number of Republicans and Democrats were coalescing around a plan to give Representative Patrick McHenry, who's been acting as Speaker pro tem, additional powers. Taking this step would enable the House to conduct business again until a permanent Speaker is elected. However, one member of the Freedom Caucus asserted that conservatives would respond to this course of action by blocking all bills from reaching the House floor. It is in our national interest for the House of Representatives to begin functioning again, and it is not in anyone's best interest for the federal government to shut down next month. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms calls upon House Republicans to elect a new speaker as soon as possible. To accomplish this task, members of the opposing factions within the House Republican Conference must put aside their individual interests and their differences. 
It is one thing to stand for one's principles. It is another to insist that others accommodate one's preferences. Now, at the time of this recording, Representative Jim Jordan is making a third bid for the speakership. The vote is currently underway on the House of Representatives floor at the time of this recording. My contacts in Congress tell me that he still doesn't have the votes. As to what happens next, well, that's anybody's guess. However, we need a speaker. The state of the world demands it. The stability of our government requires it. The Speaker of the House of Representatives is third in line for the presidency. The Republicans have got to pick a permanent speaker. In other news, there is an election coming up on Tuesday, November 7th. On Election Day, New York voters will elect candidates to various county and municipal offices. In addition, two proposed amendments to the New York State Constitution will appear on the back of the ballot. Proposal number one deals with borrowing limits for New York school districts located in small cities. Under Article 8, Section 4 of the New York State Constitution, a small city is defined as a city with fewer than 125,000 inhabitants. According to Gothamist.com, 57 cities would be affected by this proposal. Currently, the New York State Constitution bars school districts in small cities from borrowing amounts in excess of 5% of the collective value of taxable real property within their districts. Small city school districts wishing to borrow amounts that exceed that limit can only do so with the approval of 60% of the voters in their districts, as well as the approval of the Board of Regents and the New York State Comptroller. However, the Constitution does not set limits for other school districts borrowing. Instead, State law limits school districts not located in small cities from borrowing amounts exceeding 10% of the collective value of taxable real property within their districts. Proposal number one would remove the 5% borrowing limit for small city school districts, letting such districts borrow just as much money as other school districts are allowed to borrow. Now let's talk about proposal two. Gothamist.com describes proposal number two as a routine, once-a-decade extension focused on sewage treatment facilities. Article 8, Section 5 of the state constitution places limits on how much money each county and municipality may borrow. However, these constitutional debt limits contain an exception for the construction of sewage treatment facilities. As Gothamist.com explains, if a city has to borrow to repair a sewage treatment plant or even build a new one, that doesn't count against their debt limit, so long as they get approval from the state comptroller. This exception is scheduled to expire on January 1, 2024. Proposal number two would extend the sewer debt exception until January 1, 2034. Early voting will be available from Saturday, October 28th through Sunday, November 5th. For more information on this year's ballot proposals, well, you can visit our website at albanyupdate.com. In the article pertaining to these proposals at albanyupdate.com, we provide a link to the New York State Board of Elections, where again you can find more information about these ballot proposals. And finally, in today's program, I want to offer a little information on a new bill that was signed. On October 18th, Governor Kathy Hochul signed AVA's law. It's a bipartisan law that requires the New York State Department of Health to create informational materials to help and support New Yorkers who have experienced the death of an unborn child or an infant. Specifically, 
Ava's law directs the New York State Department of Health to provide information to the public on the potential mental and physical impact caused by pregnancy loss or infant loss, as well as resources for support and follow-up care. Ava's law defines pregnancy loss or infant loss to include stillbirths, miscarriages, and abortions performed for medical reasons. According to the governor's office, the Department of Health will make this information available on its maternal health website. Also, healthcare providers who treat women who have experienced pregnancy loss or infant loss will make printed or digital versions of this information available to their patients. Far too many parents are forced to deal with the pain and trauma of losing a child to a miscarriage or stillbirth, Governor Hochul said. When the worst occurs, it is imperative that we support the mental and physical health of women who are navigating this loss. With Ava's law, we can ensure that families have access to the support and resources they need as they recover. Senator Natalia Fernandez, the Senate sponsor of Ava's law, said, Ava's law underscores our commitment to accessible resources, ensuring affected individuals have access to vital services like mental health care, milk banks, gynecological support, and postpartum doula services. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms thanks the governor and the legislature for enacting Ava's law and hopes that the information provided will help families that are struggling to deal with the devastating loss of a child. It's an important public policy step for the state to recognize the loss of a child, a baby, through stillbirth, pregnancy loss, or even an abortion. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate, follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update, or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.